listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today I want to talk to you on the subject, the power, I'm sorry, the promise of Pentecost. I could preach the power of Pentecost, but um, somewhere along the way I probably will. Uh, But this is the promise of Pentecost. And uh, right off the bat, I want to acknowledge the discomfort of this subject. And some of you are squirming in your seats right now. Stay with me. Don't leave. Because I want to call your attention to a conversation that took place in between services. Someone that attended first service that was raised in in a a denominational background that believed in the cessation of of spiritual gifts, um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, was never discussed, never talked about, and and it was a very legalistic atmosphere. She came to me with tears in her eyes in between services and thanked me for the message that I'm about to share with you. I was able to look at her and say, on the other end of that spectrum, I was raised in a hyper-Pentecostal atmosphere that was also legalistic, just in a different way. And both situations are harmful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please understand with me, okay? We've got to be careful with the presentation. And everything that I'm going to share with you on this Pentecost Sunday, that's what today is. In Christianity, this is Pentecost Sunday. On this Pentecost Sunday of 2022, I am going to be so careful with my presentation because I understand any and all skepticism because I've been there myself. My wife will tell you that I went on a journey. And being raised in it, I saw a lot of things that I didn't like that did not bear witness with my spirit. I went from one end of the spectrum to the other. And, and I, I just, I had, I had to find out truth for myself. And so I, I bought books. I threw away as many books as I kept because I would start reading it and, and it, it didn't bear witness with me. And I realized if you can't back it up with scripture or if you take and twist scripture, I don't want, I don't want that. And so I was very careful with my journey. But what it did is it gave me what I believe is a good biblical foundation for the promise of Pentecost. And I want to share that with you today, but here's my only ask for you, is just to open your heart and mind and forget everything that you you think you know, things that you've been taught, and, and especially the legalism that we acquire along the way. This is an important message, and it's for you, it's for me. The promise is for you, the promise is for me. Amen? So if you're uncomfortable right now, um... It's, it's okay. You're in good company. I've been there. There's other people beside you. They're there too. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 24. And then right after that, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. Remembering this, that both of, of uh, these books, letters if you will, were both written by Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, he was a physician. And uh, he was writing them to a man by the name of Theophilus. And, and so we're going to read Luke's writings here in both Luke and Acts. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to start with verse 44. Let's read verses 44 through 49 of Luke 24. It says, then he, he is Jesus. Okay, so Luke is telling us what Jesus is about to say. Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 
And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. There it is. Jesus says, I am sending the promise. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Understand what Jesus is saying. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. He looks at his, at his followers and he says, go to Jerusalem and I want you to stay there. Stay in the city until the Holy Spirit descends upon you and you are endued with power from on high. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is what Jesus was talking about. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Church, I understand that just the name of this sermon alone is concerning to some people. As I told you, I get it. I understand that. But what you have to realize today is that the word Pentecost and the word Pentecostal, they are two different things. It's not the same. I was raised Pentecostal. I could tell you some stories today that would weird you out. I was raised in it. If you were raised in it, raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. And I was used to it. And it still weirded me out. It gets crazy, guys, I'm telling you. But I need you to understand for the duration of this message today is that there is a difference in the word Pentecost and in being Pentecostal. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost is mentioned, it is technically just a calendar reference. That's all it is. When Luke writes to Theophilus and he mentions the day of Pentecost, He is just mentioning a specific day on the calendar. It would be like a young couple giving birth to their firstborn child on Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving of this year, of this certain year, our child was born. Or a young man proposing to his girlfriend on a significant day like Valentine's Day. On, On Valentine's Day of that particular year, he proposed to her. On the day of Pentecost, that is mentioned in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost in that year, something extraordinary happened to the early church. And Luke wants to make sure that Theophilus knows that this was an extraordinary event that happened on that particular day. And of course, we know that there have been movements and denominations that adhere to a more charismatic and spirit-filled approach to worship and ministry, and, and they are referred to as Pentecostal. But the word Pentecost does not mean Pentecostal. Pentecost literally means 50. 50. It's, it's Greek. It's a Greek word. You don't find this word in, in the Old Testament. You find it in the New Testament because the New Testament was originally in Greek. And so the, the word Pentecost, penta is, is Greek for five. It's where we get the words pentagram or pentagon, five. And then costa being to the 10th power. So that gives us 50. My wife and I, we are getting closer to our Pentecost birthdays, the big 5-0. Some people in the room have made it. No names, Katera. But from the pulpit, my bad. But for the record, for the record, for the record, Mandy will be there before me. 
a year and a half before me. And I never let her forget that either. Pentecost, what it was is it was the Jewish celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. That's what it was. It was the giving uh, or the celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Because here's what happened. It, it occurred 50 days after the Passover. If, do you remember the Passover? Remember in, in Egypt, the Passover, when, when the Passover angel, the death angel, uh, went out, uh, throughout Egypt and he killed the firstborn if you did not have the blood of, uh, of the lamb over your doorposts? That's the Passover. That's the first Passover. And, and, and the Hebrews, their firstborn, were spared because they had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Fifty days later, at Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. He gave the law to Moses to present to them. God gave them the law at Mount Sinai. To commemorate this significant event, they were instructed to celebrate this every year. God said, I want you to celebrate the giving of the law every, every year. This celebration is mentioned five times in the first five books of the Bible. Five times, but, but it's not mentioned as, as, as the day of Pentecost because it is called Shavat in the Old Testament or the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. And there were two harvests each year, two harvests. There was the early harvest in late May, early June, and then there's the final harvest in late fall. Pentecost was the celebration of the early harvest. All of this comes together. Just stay with me. In the New Testament, the Feast of Weeks is referred to as the Day of Pentecost. Now, for those of you in the room that are doing the math, I will agree with you. It doesn't add up. Some of you are like, what, what math? What are you talking about? There's some in the room that you realize exactly what I'm saying. The math does not add up. If, if Jesus was crucified and became the, the sacrificial Passover offering on Passover, the day of Pentecost, then, then it would have been 50 days after his death. He was the spotless lamb that shed his blood for humanity's salvation. But if you're doing the math, the day of Pentecost was actually 50 days after his resurrection, not 50 days after his death. This is important. And there's a perfectly good explanation for this in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the book, in the book of Leviticus. And it helps make sense of all of it for us. So, so, so pay attention to this because this, this is how God works. I know most of you, you don't read the book of Leviticus just for fun. It's Levitical law. It's hard to read. It, it was intended for the priests. It's a lot of procedures in, in their worship experience. And so it's not fun for us to read. However, in Leviticus chapter 23, God actually changes the day that the Feast of Weeks, the day of Pentecost, is to be observed on. And, and some people miss this. Leviticus 23, verses 16 and 17. Stay with me. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So let me, let me help you with the math. 50 days after the first, first Sabbath after Passover is what we're looking for. 50 days after the first First Sabbath after Passover, seven weeks, 49 days, plus one day after Sabbath equals 50. Passover started on Thursday evening as Jesus was eating the Last Supper with his disciples in an upper room. Now understand, the Jewish day starts in the evening at sundown. 
So Passover begins, that the new day of Passover begins in our evening, and their first meal together is not breakfast. Their first meal together would be dinner. And so they eat together at the beginning of Passover, at the evening of this day when their day starts. They eat together a, a Passover meal. Passover continues on Friday, the day Jesus was crucified. He was crucified on Passover. The Sabbath will start at sundown on the day that he's crucified. Sabbath starts at sundown, and it will last throughout the next day. And, and we know that this is the way it happened because his followers, some of his followers, were in such a hurry to get him down off the cross because it was important to a Jew who cannot work on the Sabbath. It was important to them to get him off the cross and get him buried before Sabbath began at sundown. Then you have the Sabbath. And you start counting that next day, which is the third day, the day that he was resurrected. And 50 days later, we have the day of Pentecost. And here's what's amazing to me, church. I hope you get this. 1,476 years before Acts chapter 2. 1,476 years before the day of Pentecost as we know it. God determines that the day of Pentecost, the day that his spirit will be poured out on the church, would be 50 days after resurrection. He knew that his son would die on the Passover, 1,476 years, give or take a few, earlier. He knew that his son was going to die on the Passover as the, the, the sacrificial lamb. He, he knew that, that he would be resurrected on the day after the first pass, uh, Sabbath after Passover. He also knew that he was going to appear for 40 days to his followers and then Jesus was going to instruct them to go to Jerusalem, wait in the city for 10 days, waiting on this promise, waiting on, on, on the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit will be poured out on the day of Pentecost. Guys, that is amazing to me. That 1,476 years before, God said, I'm going to go ahead right now and I'm going to get all of this corrected so that, that you can understand the sacrifice that Jesus paid but also help it make sense to my gift to you as the church. Now, don't forget, Pentecost was a celebration of the giving of the law. In, in Exodus chapter 32, when, when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, if you remember this story, Moses comes down from the mountain and he's, he's got the tablets that God, God created for him. And, and we look at it as having you know, five commandments on one, five on the other. Guys, this was the law of God. It was small print, both sides, single space. When he comes down from the mountain, they have already broken, they've already broken the law. They broke one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He comes down off the mountain and they're worshiping a false idol. Aaron, Moses' brother, had helped them melt down their gold, melt down their jewelry, and make this golden calf. And that's all that they know. They were raised in this culture in Egypt where the Egyptians, they had a god for everything. They had a sun god. They had a moon god. They had a fish god. They had a crocodile god. They had gods for everything. And that's all that they know. And, and so they, they resort back to that. But God wants to, them to trust him completely with their lives. And so Moses comes down. He sees them worshiping the, this, this false idol. He throws the, the tablets down. They, they, they break. They shatter right there. And, and here's what we leave out. And this is so important. Don't, don't miss this. The scripture tells us that 3,000 people died that day. That's an important number. 3,000 people died 
when they broke the law right after it was given. 3,000 people perished. Now get this. Approximately 1,476 years later, on the day set aside for remembering the giving of the law, God gives his spirit. In that upper room, he pours his spirit out upon the early church. They go out into the streets. It's strange. I know it is. They go out into the streets. They're speaking in other tongues. And, and there was a pilgrimage that took place. For This was one of the pilgrimage feasts. And so people have come from all over. Jews have come from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate. These 120 believers go out into the streets and they're speaking in other tongues. And people can understand the gospel in their language on where they're from. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing. I, I have witnessed this one time in my life. I witnessed someone speak. It was my own father that didn't know a lick of Spanish. And I watched as he spoke perfect Spanish, ministering the gospel to, to, to two Mexican women in, in church on a Sunday night. And, and I know my dad. My dad, he couldn't speak English really well. And I know he didn't know Spanish. Watched it happen. It was amazing. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up, and as far as we know, he preaches his first message. First message as, as, as an apostle. He preaches his first message, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You don't think God knows what he's doing? This is an amazing, amazing act of grace because the law was set in stone, but the Spirit was put in flesh. And this was prophesied by Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. That's the law. He said, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you want to know one of the reasons why you need the Holy Spirit of God operating in your life, it's so that you can obey the statutes. You can honor God. You can walk in his decrees and in his command. We have a hard time doing that under our own abilities. But when you have the Spirit of God within you, it makes it easier because he is our guide and, and he teaches us. The law facilitates death and you'll never live up to it on your own efforts and your own standards. Don't ever think that you can live up to the law on your own ability. The Old Testament proves that to us, but the Holy Spirit of God, it facilitates life where you don't have to rely on yourself because you rely on the Spirit of God. Now, there are two wrong misconceptions that I need to clear up today, and this is going to be offensive for some of you because you were raised in a church that taught you otherwise. And I need to help bring clarity to this. And listen, if I can't back this up with Scripture, then you set up an appointment, you rebuke me, because everything that I'm sharing with you today, I want to make sure. If I can't back it up, then you go find yourself another church because I'm not worth anything to be up here sharing the gospel. But I need you to understand, if I can back it up with Scripture, then you should pay attention to it. And for some of us, we were raised in such an atmosphere that, that the legalism took over and we've said it as gospel and it's not. It's, it's not even biblical. And you've been taught these lies and I believe by some great people. Listen to me. It, it was ingrained into them. And you've bought into them and what's happened is you've been deprived of a promise that Christ made to the early believers. It's the promise of Pentecost. Here's the first misconception. The first mis misconception is that 
You receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit at the moment of your conversion, at the moment of salvation. I'm going to prove to you how that's not the case. In other words, at the moment that you said yes to Jesus, you were immediately filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let me take you to the the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples where he makes this promise. Listen to it. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Helpers capitalized. That's the Holy Spirit. He says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We'll come back to that in just a moment. You go on down to verse 26, and it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there's another purpose of the Holy Spirit. It helps us remember the teachings of Christ. Now, after his resurrection, Jesus reiterates this promise right before he ascends to heaven. We read this last week in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Here's what he says. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so there's another reason why we need the Holy Spirit because he empowers us to be witnesses. The reason why some of your family members are struggling and the reason why you, you can't win them to, to, the, to, to Jesus Christ and to the knowledge of Christ and, and for, is, is because you do not have the Holy Spirit within you. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. I know this is offensive to some of you, and you're like, no, this is just, just forget everything you've been taught. Let the scriptures teach you right now. He empowers us to witness. He empowers us to share the good news and the gospel. I can tell you this. There have been moments when, when the Holy Spirit has brought to my remembrance scripture or he has shared with me some thoughts that have helped persuade someone to come to know Jesus Christ. And I can tell you it was not under my own ability. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this common misconception that you get all of the Holy Spirit that you need at the moment of salvation is an attempt by the enemy to rob you of your God-given power and strength. And there was a time in my life, church, that I wanted to believe this because it just makes it easier. It it makes it easier. The easy part for us is simply this, that Jesus died for our sins. I want you to understand that the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where, where he comes into you, Understand, you don't have to have that to get to heaven. The hard part was done. Jesus Christ paid the price for you. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then the hard part has been done for you. You don't have to do anything for that. The next step requires a sacrifice on our part, but more on that in a moment. We'll get there. It would just be easier if salvation and Holy, Holy Spirit baptism were one and the same. However, church, understand that the scriptural evidence does not support this, and I'm going to show you. Don't forget what Jesus told his disciples. John 14 and 17, once again. Listen to what he says. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, you know him. Here it is. For he dwells with you. That's present tense. He's with you. Church, at the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's there to take you by the hand and to guide you. He is with you. He's there to convict your heart over, over, over sinful nature. He's, he's there with you. And Jesus said, you know him for he dwells with you, present tense, and will be in you. That's future tense. 
When you first believe the Spirit of God is with you, but when you make time to wait on him and separate yourself from worldly desires, then he is faithful to fill you. But you've got to be willing to put forth that effort. You didn't have to do anything for your salvation, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you've got to be willing to go through the process of of what we call sanctification. And understand this, sanctification is not a one-time deal. I have to wake up every day of my life and pray, Lord, sanctify me. I want to be a little bit more like Jesus, so I need you to take this sinful nature out of me. And the more room that I make for the Holy Spirit, the more faithful he is to fill me with the Holy Spirit. But I've got to be willing to make some room for him i can look on your faces it's not enough proof for some of you acts chapter 8 philip leads some people in samaria to the saving grace of jesus christ he shares the good news of the message of jesus christ with them and they come to the faith when headquarters in jerusalem now that bothers some of you because you're against organized religion headquarters in jerusalem when they heard that samaria had received the good news of jesus They sent Peter and John to them for the sole purpose of helping them become baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. They've already been saved, but but when they send Peter and John, they want them to help them understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. This is one to two years after the day of Pentecost, okay? Verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, They sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they've already received salvation, but now they're being sent so that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Understand that there's at least two separate experiences here. There's salvation, and then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know, I'm messing up your theology right now. Some of you, you were raised in such an environment that this was never discussed. This is scriptural proof. Now I want you to listen to to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. After he's filled with the Holy Spirit, goes down into the streets of Jerusalem, and he's preaching his first message. And towards the end of his first message, after he has convinced this crowd that they need Jesus Christ, listen to the conversation. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that's the crowd. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what happens when the gospel of Jesus is is preached. It, It cuts you to the heart where action has to take place. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, he said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a three-part process that Peter speaks of. He says, repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In church, so many people are content with, with, with salvation. And that's a huge step. I mean, it's the most important decision that a person can make to put their trust in Jesus Christ so that he can be their Lord and their Savior, okay? That is the most important decision. Some people will even go as far as as making that that known publicly through water baptism. And it's important. We do it right here on this stage. It is important for someone to to take that next step and and proclaim to the world through uh, water baptism that that they have received a new life. They have been forgiven of their sins through Jesus Christ. But Peter said there's a third part. He says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So many people are just content with the first two steps and they never, never tap into that power source that we have with the Holy Spirit. And the reason why is because it will disrupt your lifestyle because it is going to cost you something. It cost the early believers something. For 10 days, they had to be separated from the world. They couldn't go on with life as normal. This is what happens for us as believers, when we are willing to, to push aside and say, listen, I, I'm going to separate myself from that lifestyle or from that sinful nature or from that habit. When we're willing to do that, God is faithful to fill those voids because now we've created space for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Which brings me to the second misconception. And it's this, that the gift of the Holy Spirit was just for the early church on the day of Pentecost. Some of you, you've heard that preached. That it was just for the early apostles. That it ceases to be available for us as believers today. I want you to listen to verse 39 as Peter closes his sermon. Listen to what he says. Verse 39. He says to these apostles and to these followers. He says, for this promise is for you. And for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter answered it in the first message of Pentecost. He says, not only is it for you, it's for your children, and it's for anyone who ever calls on the name of Jesus. It, it is for them. It is a gift from the Heavenly Father for all believers. Now, I want to fast forward to Acts 19, verses 1 through 7. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but with doctrine like this, you got to have it. This is 24 years after the day of Pentecost. 24 years later, verse 1 of Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, this is important, listen. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I can't make this up, church. That's the question that he asked. That They have already believed. He found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And here's where you know they were Baptists. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I'm just kidding. I'm just, my dad was raised Baptist. They said into John's baptism, and Paul clarifies that. He said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So they believed. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That, that means they're dunked. The Greek word for, for baptism is baptiz baptismo. It means fully submerged. That's why we, we take you all the way under here. They... They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and if the story stops right there, it's all good. Because that's all you need, right? You repent and believe, be baptized, your public display of, 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 of what's, what's happened inwardly, it's, 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 of that private decision that's been made public. But it doesn't stop there. Immediately in verse 6, listen to what happens. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. It is a subsequent act of God that it's salvation and it is followed 
with the Holy Spirit baptism. The indwelling where you invite the Holy Spirit inside. Now, there was a time as a young minister church that I shied away from teaching this because of how weird it is. It's just weird. It's, you, you can't read the book of Acts and not admit there's some strange things that happen. But, but I know that many of us are leery of the Holy Spirit because of the dramatic birth. I've shared this before, but, but I, there's so many new people. I need to share this with you because this, this drives it home for us. When, when our twins were born, they'll soon be 25, but when Caleb and Kendall were born, it was a dramatic experience to say the least. First of all, You've got this couple that it, it's, it's been us. Been us. Neither one of us are, are really that loud at home. Kendall was the first to be born. She came out crying and has never shut up since. It was just, and now it just, she just puts words with it. And, and it, it, it's not, that, that's dramatic, guys. I, I still have PTSD over this. It's dramatic. But if that wasn't bad enough, Caleb was born next, and he's breech. He comes out feet first, and he doesn't make a sound. And he's not breathing. And he's turning blue. And I laid across my wife where she couldn't see them working on my son. And Mandy asked me, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, I lied. I flat out lied because... We needed to be focused on her in that moment. And she said, is he okay? I said, he's fine. And they've got Caleb over in a corner. And they have they've bagged him. They're pushing air into his lungs trying to get him to breathe. And he's turning blue. It was a dramatic experience. And, and, and women, if, if those of you that have children, if, if you'll think back, and, and it's hard sometimes for you to remember, but if you'll think back, Childbirth is a dramatic experience. I'm convinced, church, that God gives moms labor and delivery amnesia. Otherwise, they would never let a man touch them ever again. I know that. It's, it is dramatic. It's traumatic. Because if, if women, if they remembered the dramatic birth, they would never consider being pregnant again. Church, the birth of the early church on the day of Pentecost, there's no other way. We can't deny what the scriptures say. It was dramatic. It was crazy. The manifestations of the Spirit came in full force. Nuts! 120 believers gathered in an upper room waiting on a promise that Jesus gave them. And when the promise shows up, it comes into the room blowing like a violent wind. The Bible says that there were tongues of fire that rested upon each of their heads. And then they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It was crazy. And then 120 men and women waiting in this upper room, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they got this jump start. They hit the streets of Jerusalem, speaking in languages that foreign Jews on the streets could understand, languages that they had not learned. 3,000 new believers joined the church in less than 30 minutes. In less than 30 minutes, 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ. The church was birthed in, in charismatic splendor. We cannot deny that. But church, please listen to me. Don't let the dramatic birth keep you from enjoying the gift. 
One of the greatest pleasures of our lives have, have been to raise Caleb and Kendall. As dramatic as it was in their entrance into this world, I cannot let that keep me from enjoying the gift. And it has been my pleasure to be their father. Don't let the dramatic birth of the church don't let it ruin the gift for you. And so many people, they see that, they, they, they think it's weird, and they're just like, I don't want to be anywhere near that right now. But you're missing out on the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. And it is a promise for you and for your children and for anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. John said, or, or Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 7, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Here's what he said. It is to your advantage that I go away. Do you hear that? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. His promise of the Holy Spirit is a gift. And he says it's to our advantage. There was this young missionary named Herbert, ja Herbert Jackson. And early in his missionary career, he was gifted with an old clunker car. The one problem with this car is you couldn't turn the key to get it to start. You had to push start it. And so what happened... He lived next door, the missionary lived next door to the school, and he worked out a deal with, with the administrators of the school that every day when he got ready to leave his house, he could go over, grab a few guys from the school, a few students from the school, and they would push start his car so that he could start his day in ministry. And, and if he got somewhere and it was flat ground, he, he, he would leave the car running while he went inside just wasting gas, and, and, and then whenever he could, he would park on a hill so that he could put it in neutral, start going down the hill, and, 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 and throw it into gear, and the car would start. Some of you in the room have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but there's some of us in the room, that's life for us. We understood that. We know what that, that, that when the starter goes out, there's a way to start the car. We know that. I had a, a moped that I had to do that. It happens. A family illness caused them to have to leave Herbert and his family to have to leave the mission field new young missionary comes in and Herbert begins telling him he's like listen somebody gave us this car it runs great but let me tell you how you have to start this thing and he told him he said in the mornings go next door their students will come out they'll push start make sure that you park on a hill so that you can put it in, in neutral pop it into drive you know, just leave the car running. He tells him all of this. The young missionary pops the hood, walks around to the front, lifts the hood, and looks at it, and he says, well, Dr. Herbert, he said, there's your problem right there. Reaches down, wiggles a wire, tightens it up, walks around, and starts the car up. Church, sometimes you've got to understand that you need the Holy Spirit active in your life because he is your connection to the power of God. I'm not questioning your salvation, but the gift, and it is a subsequent gift from salvation. Scripture proves that to us. But so many Christians just, they don't want to go through the process of making room in their lives and or, and or. They're just weirded out by the dramatic birth of the Holy Spirit. Now I need you to understand, that this sermon doesn't, doesn't change the way we worship at DCC. 
But what I do want it to do is to create such a hunger inside of us that we do not want to walk out of these doors without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then we will go and do what we need to do to make room for the Holy Spirit. Because I teach this a little bit different than, than, than some of my comrades in ministry. I, I, and I've been ridiculed for it, but, but here's what I really believe. We used to have this saying around the church, save, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Actually, they said filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe in that. I do believe sanctification is an ongoing process. Until I get to heaven, he's continuing to perfect me. But I believe that you intentionally have to make room for the Spirit of God. He will will not dwell where he is not welcome. And in order for him to be welcomed, you've got to be willing to eliminate sinful nature from your life. That's the part that you have to do. Christ died for your sins. Now it's up to you to allow the sanctification process and the things that, that, that the Holy Spirit that is with you is convicting you over. And you create space. And as you create space, you just begin praying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that is with you begins to take residence in you. The power that's at your fingertips becomes the power that's within you. I need you to understand this, church. You need you to understand this. The birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The cross of Christ, that's God for us. He's fighting for us. But the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost, that's God in us. And it makes all the difference in a believer's life. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.